Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. Today I'm going to tell you a Middle Eastern story called The Old Thief and the Plum Seed that I heard Michael Mead tell some years ago. It came back to me as I was thinking about the close relationship between wounds and gifts and the longing to live a meaningful life. So I want to take a few minutes to talk about those connections and provide a little bit of context for this story. I've been meditating on our common preoccupation with purpose, the need to live with a purpose, and the desire to be unique in that way, to have a particular gift. I think all of us, or at least most of us, want to uncover some special talent or quality and bring that forth, contribute that, share it for our mutual enrichment. When we do that, we're ennobled. It's a way of having dignity, of finding self-respect. Now, there's so much emphasis on individuality in our culture and what you have to do to make it happen for yourself, how you have to care for yourself and love yourself. And it's all about your relationship to yourself. And in the midst of all of that, I think it's possible to forget that we are social beings and that a significant part of our experience as a singular human being, as an individual, actually springs from being in relationship to others. All types of others, not just human beings, but human beings especially. We are mirrors for each other, for better or for worse. And this starts as soon as we have life. As infants, we look into the eyes of the people who hold us And we begin to form a sense of self from what we see reflected back to us. Now, as we get older, obviously, we start relying on ourselves, our inner self, to refine that sense of self-awareness. But we never lose the need to be seen by others. It's really profound, our need for recognition. Without it, We don't exist. And even the hermit in the cave is in communication with, is in the presence of an other. And that case may be a divine presence. There would be a greater sense of value in the world if we took this role of mirror more seriously. One way to practice this is simply to look, to really look into the eyes of everyone that you have contact with and see them. See them and let yourself be seen. Our avoidance of each other is a symptom, I think, of this mistaken view of the individual as a self-contained, 
self-referential unit that shouldn't be impacted or touched by other beings. We impact and touch each other. As we reach out, we also are touched. And our desire to be seen and to be recognized as having a gift to share is fundamental to our sense of self and life satisfaction. We've bought into this mistaken view as a dysfunctional myth about the individual, and that makes this difficult. Another thing that makes it difficult is the fact that our desire to make a meaningful contribution, one that is useful to others and also satisfies ourselves, is trivialized, I think, by the relentless pressure that we're under to promote ourselves all the time. When you look at our culture today and you consider selfies and all the oversharing, the reality shows that are designed to catapult you to celebrity, the advice on how to turn yourself into a successful, easy for me to say, brand, quote unquote, it boggles the imagination. And are we empowered to show, to brand, the abilities and the qualities that we value most about ourselves? Do we brand kindness, for example? Or do we feel compelled to craft a persona that's hip and attractive and, you know, the flavor of the moment? What seems to be popular? What seems to catch attention? How much of any of this branding and so forth really helps us find, understand, and develop our gifts? How much of this constitutes a meaningful contribution to our communities? And how much of it nourishes the soul? Questions about self and purpose are essentially mythological questions. So what does mythology tell us? And what do myths, that is stories from our shared canon, reveal about our images of purpose? Because this is a cultural thing. It changes. Okay, so that's a big preamble. And I am expecting to really explore some of the questions that I've raised here over the weeks to come. So the story that we're going to tell today is just our opening gambit, if you will, into this topic. Let's turn to the story. And I invite you to settle in and as you listen, notice the details that catch your attention. Contemplating them later will help you move deeper into the story and the message that it holds for you right now. And if you land on something that is particularly interesting or puzzling to you, I invite you to share it with me. You can contact me through the Myth and the Mojave Facebook page or through the Myth and the Mojave website. Seriously. This is important stuff. The Old Thief and the Plum Seed Once in a time much like this, there was an old thief. He had stolen many things over the course of his life, and he did it with such subtlety, with such art, that he had never been caught. His neighbors had their suspicions about him, but no one could be sure because he was so good at secrecy and the tricks of his trade. One beautiful sunny day, 
the old thief went to the marketplace and he stole some fresh green herbs. Who can say what attracted him to these plants? Whether it was their color or their scent, or maybe he had some need to flavor a dish or make some medicine. He was not usually so bold in the daylight, so maybe he had a moment of weakness, or maybe it was an accident. Maybe it was a moment of fate, but this time, this time, he was caught red-handed just as he was slipping the herbs into the folds of his robe. He was promptly taken before the judge, who had often wondered if he would ever see the old thief in his courtroom, and a heavy fine was levied against him. The fine was awfully large for such a small infraction. The herbs were not worth very much. No one imagined that the old thief could pay this huge fine, and in fact he couldn't. So the authorities happily converted his sentence to a long term in prison. As his jailers led him through the massive gates and down the stone steps into the gloom of the prison, the old thief looked everything over very carefully. He searched for a gap, for a weakness in the thick walls. Alas, the place was tight as a drum and prevented no hope of escape. Days and weeks passed. The old thief was alone in his cell in the darkness, his solitude interrupted only by the arrival twice a day of his meals. Who knows what he thought about or how he felt in that oppressive quiet. What visited him in his solitude. One day, when the jailer came down the stone steps with his breakfast, the old thief roused himself. I must talk to the king, he said, without delay. Now what does an old thief like you have to do with the king? The jailer replied. Forget it. And he put down the tray of food and turned to walk away. I must see the king, said the old thief, because I have a gift for him. Something of extraordinary value, fit only for a king. You must be joking, said the jailer, and he went on his way. But then he started to think. Who knows what this old thief might have acquired over all of his years of skillful theft. And the king might have a good reward for someone who helped get this valuable gift into his royal hands. So the following morning, the jailer told the old thief that he changed his mind and that his request would be granted. And then the morning after that, he came down to escort the old thief to the presence of the king. While the jailer unlocked the door to his cell, 
the old thief picked up a small wooden box and tucked it into the sleeve of his robe. Then he went with the jailer to the royal chambers. There sat the king on his fine throne with the queen at his side, surrounded by ministers and members of his cabinet and nobles and all the other fine people of the realm. The king was a very busy man with important affairs needing his attention. He was used to receiving fine gifts, and he wondered what a lowly thief could possibly have to offer him. So, when he saw the old thief, he impatiently waved his hand and said, Come here, man, come here now, and let's see what you've got. The old thief did as he was bid, and bowing low, he said, For you, my majesty, and handed the king the wooden box. The king took the box with a slight frown and opened it. Inside was a dry plum pit. That was all. Now, how will great value be found in this plum pit? And what is the old thief up to? He can hardly afford to aggravate the king. And the king was furious when he opened the little wooden box and found only a dry plum pit rattling around inside. Why, this is just an ordinary plum pit, he exclaimed. Is this some kind of a joke? Who do you think you are to waste my time with this foolishness? Take him away, he said angrily to the jailer. And the jailer prepared to take the old thief back to his gloomy cell. Wait, 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 said the old thief. It's true that this is a plum pit, but it is not just an ordinary plum pit. When this plum pit is planted, a sapling will spring up in just a few days. And this sapling will quickly grow into a tree. And in just a few days more, flowers will appear. And in just a few more days, fruit will appear. And all of these will be plums of gold. Solid gold. Whoever plants this tree will reap a golden reward and be wealthy for all of his days. Surely this is a gift fit for a king. The king thought about this for a moment. If what you say is true, he said to the old thief, and this seed is actually magical and produces a tree that produces plums of gold, then why haven't you planted the pit yourself? Well, said the old thief, that's a good question. You see, 
The tree will only sprout if the one who plants it has a clear conscience and has never stolen or cheated another. Clearly, I do not qualify. But surely you do, my king. The king thought about the deals that were made in the back rooms of the castle. I've never had a green thumb, he said, and he turned to the queen and handed the pit to her. You plant this, my dear. The queen thought about her secret liaisons and private plots, and she turned to the prime minister, who stood beside her throne and handed the pit to him. You deserve this reward far, far more than I, she told him. The prime minister took the pit and promptly handed it to the treasurer. I do believe that you are better suited for this task, he said. The treasurer gave a slight smile, or perhaps it was a grimace, and handed the plum pit to the minister of war who handed it to the chief jailer, who handed it to the minister of justice, who handed it to the count, who handed it to the bishop. And so it went until the plum pit passed through every hand and ended up again with the old thief. Hmm. Apparently, he said, There is no one here qualified to plant this plum tree. Although, funny enough, I am the only one in jail. The room was very quiet. At last, the king said, You, old thief, have given us a gift today, a gift for the entire realm. He called the ministers together in a little huddle, and they all pitched in to pay the old thief's fine. Now the old thief carefully placed the plum pit back into the old wooden box, shut the lid, and placed it in the folds of his robe. He turned to walk away when the king said, Excuse me, but tell me, can that pit really produce golden fruit? The old thief smiled and walked away a free man. Now, the story might remind you of uh, the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale about the emperor's new clothes. But there's some significant differences here. (laughs) For one thing, the old thief is not an innocent child. Hypocrisy is a theme. But what we were talking about at the beginning is the connection between wounds and gifts and our important role as mirrors for each other, mirrors that reflect and recognize value.
So what does this story have to do with those connections? When we talk about wounds, we're talking about ways that we've been hurt. And we are talking about weakness, vulnerabilities. The old thief is a thief. He is compelled to steal. And that implies a lack of some sort. The story doesn't give us any information about this. Where We don't first hear about his lousy childhood and how he had to go to bed hungry or any of that. It's not a psychological profile. But we know this. And we note that he has turned this knack for stealing into a particular gift. He's really, really good at stealing. And he benefits from it. He identifies with it. So whatever originally, whatever wound originally gave birth to it, to that compulsion, he has turned it into something valuable for himself. No problem. Until he gets caught. Now, when we were talking about gifts and purpose earlier in the program, we were talking about contributions that we make to community, right? Not talents that only enrich me, myself, and I. But the earliest fruits of our gifts do belong to us, right? We are the first to find and feel them, and we initially cultivate them for ourselves, to define ourselves. And then, ideally, they become something larger. There's an evolution here. And in the case of this thief, the next stage is ushered in by fate. He gets caught. And this is the way that it works for many of us. Fate takes a hand in it. There are several clues provided by the story that alert us to this evolution and to the fact that the story is about the evolution. The first is the absence of grandiosity in the thief. He's not a rich villain. I mean, and you're rooting for him all along. Second, he gets caught stealing an herb, something small, inexpensive, and symbolic of growth and new life. Third, he's punished out of proportion for his crime. He's punished for being who he is or who he is suspected to be, for not conforming. This is the real problem that the others have with him that he is refusing to follow the rules that they have all agreed are important. And as we see later on in the story, they're not exactly following the rules either. The whole thing is bankrupt. This happens a lot to people who have especially valuable gifts to give the community. In fact, In Campbell's explication of the hero's journey, he often said that one of the biggest challenges faced by the hero, and we'll just use that term hero right now uh, interchangeably with the one who has the gift, 
the old thief, one of the biggest challenges is the return. It's coming back to a community and offering up what you have to a group of people who actually don't want it. They're happy in the dead shell that they're inhabiting. Well, when the wound that becomes a gift for stealing becomes something else, becomes something bigger, it becomes a truth that liberates the thief and it sheds light on the hypocrisy of those around him, which can liberate them too. And the reaction of the king suggests that we are to make that connection because he accepts the insight of the thief, although it does not reflect well on him. So this truth becomes a shared piece of wisdom. Let's take a moment now and look at how that happens. The old thief sits in isolation and darkness. Now, we generally look for solutions to our problems in what we consider to be our strengths and the light aspects of our character. And this is also where we expect to find our gifts. But this story shows us the value in bringing forth what is buried or finding the gold in the darkness and the dark places in our lives. The old thief was adept at secrets and stealing, but he eventually gets caught and alone in his gloomy prison cell. He discovered the golden kernel, the seed, or what Michael Mead called the element of destiny within that fateful situation. Who is not a thief? He asks himself. And this question is both a gift of conscience to the king's court and his ticket to freedom. What began, we can imagine, as a personal experience of lack and then a personal solution to that problem, stealing, becomes a larger gift to the thief and to everyone else involved when it stops being purely personal. This is a point that we talked about a little bit in the story of Orpheus that I told too, and you can go and find that program in the archives on Myth and the Mojave, if you missed it. The idea that our gifts really become what they are when they stop being just about us and our circumstances. One last thing to note on this idea of being a thief and who is a thief. There are many kinds of theft and many things that are worth stealing. Time, for example, solitude, or love, or ideas, or even, if you're really hungry, bread. Some of us must steal our lives from situations that threaten to break us. The point here is that we are each in our own way the old thief, with insight to gain and share if we plumb the depths of our being and actions. Our imperfections are what unite and heal us. When we look into the wound 
and into what poses itself as a solution for ourselves, we may find in that element of destiny the larger answer for everyone. So that's it for me, Catherine Savela and Myth in the Mojave. If you have questions about today's program or mythology in general, you can find Myth in the Mojave on Facebook. And if you're listening to this program and you haven't liked Myth in the Mojave on Facebook, please go to our page and do that because we're closing in on 500 likes and I sure would like to get over the top there. Why? (laughs) Because I'm trapped in trivial self-promotion. No, seriously. I want to remind you that Radio Free Joshua Tree and Myth in the Mojave are made possible by generous donations from Mojave Wi-Fi, Joshua Treats Ice Cream, Pappy and Harriet's, Peter Spur Realty, and listeners like you. So please support this unique community-based station and Myth in the Mojave by going to our website at www.radiofreejoshuatree.org and using that PayPal donate button. Special thanks to Travis Rosenberg for my theme music, to Rags and Bones for his help in producing this show, and especially to you for listening. Please tune in next week for another story on this theme of gifts and wounds and purpose and work in the world. Enjoy the weather, and in the meantime, happy myth-making, and keep the mystery in your life.